Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I am John Manuel. It's the Prospect Handbook podcast and is brought to you by our friends at DraftDay.com. DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play instead of fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold, hard cash nightly to the top-performing players. They've already awarded more than $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter the promo code BAPODCAST, and that will start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use promo code BAPODCAST. On today's podcast, we're going to talk Arizona Fall League rosters. The preliminary rosters have been announced, talking some minor league baseball. Just the as the regular season draws near, J.J. had a, a couple of nights going to see the Greensboro Grasshoppers and the Hickory Crawdads. We'll talk a little bit about those two teams, but especially the very intriguing Crawdads. And we'll take some of your questions on Twitter. As usual, it's at Baseball America is the B.A. Twitter handle. He's at JJCoop36. I'm at John Manuel B.A., and J.J., obviously the, the biggest news in our world this week was uh, Jim Callis and uh, his last week at Baseball America and his last column. And uh, we just want to take one more opportunity just to thank Jim for what he uh, meant to B.A. and what he's done. And I guess also I guess to kind of uh, reestablish the fact that um, Jim's departure, I guess, J.J., is should be another example of how Baseball America differentiates itself in the today's media world where the brand of Baseball America is built by a lot of people and it's not one person. And as much as Jim meant to us personally and professionally, uh, the show does go on. There's another magazine. We just finished the magazine. There'll be another one two weeks after that. There'll be another one two weeks after that. BaseballAmerica.com is still there. The podcasts are still there. Adding video. Jim meant a tremendous amount to us personally and professionally at BA, but we're more than one person. Right. I, the, the best way I can explain it, I've said this, I think, to at least a scout or two this week, is when we do our top 100 prospects, which is one of the biggest things we do, when we do our top 100 prospects, there's six, seven people in the room. Um, I think I think Connor was in that meeting last year, so I guess you could say that, that five of those seven will still be in the room this right. year. Right. You know, if you rewound and said when we did our top 100 meeting, Ten years ago, we still have uh, multiple people in the room from when we had that meeting ten years ago. Right. I mean, it's that's how we do things. It's Jim's great at what he does, but it's not the Jim Callis top hundred. It's not the John Manuel top hundred. It's right. not the JJ Cooper top hundred. It's a collaborative effort, and we think there's strength in that. And Correct. one of the strengths in that is is that we think it leads to the best list. Right. But another thing that we think that that does is that, for lack of a better word, we want you to be able to look at a Baseball America 2014 list 
and see it as something that can be compared to a t- Baseball America 2002 list right. or a 1992 list. That process is generally still the same process, and it's we keep refining it. I mean, I think we've talked in the office a lot about our process, and you know that process is not pretending to be something that you're not. That process is being a journalist, being someone who's passionate about baseball, and leveraging the brand name of Baseball America to reach contacts in the industry um, that other people can't do. And if and then other people, maybe some people can do it, but they don't do it. They don't have 12 people or 10 people to do it. They're, they're one person. That's another part of the, the strength in some numbers here. So um, I guess uh, you know the, the fitting send-off uh, to Jim would just be uh, you know, just a tremendous guy that we all worked with and enjoyed working with and learned a lot from. But at the same time, he built something that we can all continue to profit from, both those of us who still work here and those people who are, are still Baseball America podcast listeners or magazine subscribers, is he helped build that process that we trust and that we will continue to execute. Right. Uh, you're, uh, our plan is is that you're going to see things that are some things that will be different at BaseballAmerica.com, some things will be different in the magazine, just as you always have. Right. But the reality of it is is that, again, Jim's great at what, we, what he does. We're not saying anything different than that. But our plan is is that when you pick up a 2014 prospect handbook, you're going to say, oh, yes. good. It's, it's, it's hopefully the best one we've ever done. Right, exactly. That's that's the goal. So, And a lot of those calls have started for our league top 20s. Uh, uh, well, they've been going on for, for a while for some of us. And, uh, and going on for uh, assignments going out for the prospect handbook for top 30s. I think I've got all 30 handbook assignments <laughs> figured out. Yay. So uh, looking forward to some different teams. I think a lot of us are doing some different teams this year because besides Jim, obviously Connor, Nathan, um, uh, Matt Foreman did two in the book last year, now working for the Cleveland Indians. So uh, BA alumni kind of uh, spanning all over the uh, the baseball world. And that's, you know, it's a, it's a well, more mature company now, a 33rd year. So these things happen. And, and and I saw a couple of people on Twitter. It's like, wow, it seems like there's a lot of turnover going on at Baseball America. And there has been. We've had three people in, you know, Jim, yeah, three Connor, staffers. and Nathan. Three yep. editorial staffers in the past, uh, I guess, four months. Yep. Um, that's true. At the same time, we, we got these things seem to happen in waves. We had Spasms. not had any yeah. turnover in over five years before that. Yeah, from 2006 to 2008, we had another spasm of – uh, talent lo- leaving the company, whether it was Alan Simpson, Alan Schwartz, Kevin Goldstein, Kerry um, uh, Booyer came and went, Alan, Alan Matthews, Matthews um, Chris, Klein. Chris Klein, and Matt Blood all came and went in that span. Um, that was a lot of talent, some to clubs and other media, uh, a lot of people who came and went in that short three-year window of time. But since then, since the end of 2008, uh, when Matt left to go work for the Cardinals, I don't believe we'd had to hire anybody new. No, we That's had when we brought Connor aboard, and Connor had started in the fall of 2008 anyway. So uh, there'd been quite a bit of continuity in a media landscape that really doesn't have a lot of continuity. So uh, we're just getting – it just was our turn. Yeah, so. and, and 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 there's – hey, there's – we're – you know, we've got Josh Norris is on board, Clint Longenecker right. on board. We'll be bringing, you know, other people on board. So we're kind of excited about that. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity for that, but that, but at the same time, um, Jim, it, we're gonna it, miss you. Exactly. So <laughs> we, without shedding any <laughs> tears this time, we're gonna miss Jim Callis, and we know that you all will as well. So um, just uh, w- w- the you know, just go diving right back into prospects, JJ. Um, first off, since you guys, uh, we'll talk about the fall league in a minute, but since you guys just went, you and Josh, uh, you mentioned Josh, you know, shooting a lot of video for us. 
and uh, already really he's been here two weeks and I think he's seen 12 games in uh, his first uh, fish, 10 official days at baseball oh, yeah. nine official days at baseball America yeah he's a little addicted which is a good thing but um, that's why he's here <laughs> but uh, you guys went to go see Hickory and we talk about this Hickory team a lot this year in the office now finally putting a feature to uh, into the magazine about and we've written about them but just how what a this is really Fascinating team. Well, it, it's an unbelievably interesting team, JJ, because first of all, how young they are. I mean, like Jesus Alfaro is on. Jorge. The, Jorge, thank you. Jorge Alfaro is on these uh, Fall League rosters. I believe he's the youngest player on a Fall League roster. And he's repeating the league. He's and he's the old man of the Rangers right. of the Hickory Club. So you've had multiple scouts, it sounds like, tell you that you, know, you could write up. He, he, there, uh, there are a lot of scouts, I guess, who've, ter- who've seen that team and turned in. All nine guys, and I, I actually eight, admit well, to I should say eight, to be a eight eight, guys in the lineup. Know, yep. Yeah, Jordan Akins would, would technically have been the ninth regular. Not seen a whole lot of guys turning him in because impressive physical tools he just hasn't hit, and yes. there's severe doubts about whether he ever will hit. But, he's, a, he's from the Rebbe, Reggie Abercrombie school of hitting, right? And that's the thing. Some of these other guys may are kind of from the Reggie Abercrombie school of hitting. The question is, is they're in low A? Is it going to come together? Because when we talk about that, there eight guys turned in from that team. Not all eight of them are ne- there now. Ryan Ruas, you know, up in uh, in Double A now, and not all of them. When they're say turned in, that's not going to be an impact big leaguer. Some of these, right? I haven't heard anyone who said Luis Marte, you know, really projects as anything more. If you like him, you like him as a utility guy, maybe. Right. There's well, he's a lot. Hitting, of, he's got like a sub six hundred OPS. Right. right. And and. and it's just that he's good enough defensively that you go, okay, if he learns how to hit a little bit, he might be able to fill a utility role. Ryan Rua, if you're talking about him, it's not probably as a regular. It's as a guy who can play second, play third, has some pop. Uh, you know, if if I'm going, uh, you know, I, 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 basically a, a super sub who might hit enough to uh, right. to do that. But a guy with some power. I mean, a guy oh, who hit, was 30. among the minor league leaders in home runs most of the season before he was promoted to an age-appropriate level. Right, and – you're you're talking about guys like that, but then you are talking more so about a group of guys. This is the toolsiest team in the minors, and I, I don't think it's probably even that close. Yeah, I definitely liked uh, the, the references to when we talked about this as a story idea to the 2005 Jacksonville team. That was one of my favorite stories to do, the 05 Jacksonville Suns. Who were they had like thirteen big leaguers, sixteen big leaguers, sixteen I think now, yeah. And uh, not f- all those obviously are. Right. Plenty of Bray who's not an everyday guy or anything. Not but all impact yeah. guys, but I mean, like, you know, Justin Ruggiano's in that group, and you he know? Is, and he actually he had a good year in the big leagues in twenty twelve. Right. I mean, he he's not an impact guy, but he is. He was yeah. a regular for a year, and you know? not only just a regular, but a regular who was a productive regular. A guy whose strat card you're going to want to go get yeah. in the twenty twelve strat set. Um, but and that and and the, of course the most fascinating part about that Jacksonville team to me is that the best prospect in the organization at the time was a level behind them in Matt Kemp at Vero mm-hmm. Beach. But that Jacksonville team, I think that Hong Chi Kuo was one of the guys on that team. Um, some of those guys have already come and gone. Jam- uh, James Loney, obviously. Broxton, Billingsley, uh, Andy LaRoche was a highly regarded prospect at the time. Russ so Martin. Russell Martin. I think probably Russ Martin. Probably has had the best career out of all these guys. Yeah, you know? I, I would agree with that. I would. Um, uh, Joel Guzman, who had a cup of coffee, was supposed to be a big-time guy. Wasn't uh, too big, too, too – I think Greg Miller may have had an, had an inning or two with that club in one of his he long – He did. He did. He was he was in their uh, playoff bullpen. I actually checked the playoff stats of that team today. 
when I was proofing your story because I really thought that Kemp had been there for the playoffs. No. But it was it was Tony Abreu, Atanaslao Abreu. I think Ching Long Hu was on that team briefly. So it was just a team where I just remember talking to pro scouts who said, like, they turned in the whole team. And Todd Donovan, who's now a cross-checker for the Diamondbacks, was an outfielder on that team, was a veteran outfielder, along with John Weber, uh, who ended up playing here with the Bulls. Uh, I think he had a spring training with the Yankees where he got banged for steroids. Um, you know, PED suspension that kind of short-circuited his chances of getting to the big leagues. But I remember talking to Donovan and to Weber that year, and mostly Todd Donovan, because uh, he was he thought about the game like a scout at that time as a player and just being amazed by the talent on that team. There's going to be probably one day where Ryan Rua goes back and tells his grandkids about how he hit 20-some homers for Hickory that year. And if he made it to the big leagues, it was a cup of coffee, or maybe he, but he wasn't a, an impact guy. But, boy, did I play with all these guys. And that's the thing. You know, the story will be up at BaseballAmerica.com for long. It's in the magazine that, that we just sent to press today. But really what it comes down to is this is a team that 10 years from now could be a team we look at like that 2005 Jacksonville yeah. Club where you go, wow. Or it could be a team that you look back and go, yeah, that just didn't work. Right. Like, you know, the Rangers went in a different direction a couple years later because once they saw that that group didn't work, the Rangers clearly have a philosophy here. <laughs> I, I, I said it to multiple guys with Hickory. I was like, I, I'm not tall, but I'm not short. I'm you know, right around six foot. I've never felt shorter around the <laughs> team than I did around that. You do around the Hickory team. Salmon Spring Training was the same thing. It's like, that guy's 6'5", that guy's 6'4", that guy's 6'5". Right. And they're not all just tall. They're tall, they're big, they're strong, they're fast. They're all athletic. Joey Gallo is the, you know, you would think of kind of as, Joey Gallo has his raw power, I, I, it's hard to describe because it is. It's one of those like you remember it. Right. I've now I gotten to see Sano and I've gotten to see Gallo this year. And if you ask me which one's got better raw power, raw, not in game. Yeah. I'm not a scout, but to me, Gallo. I mean, Gallo hits balls. Sano hits some. Well, he has bad speed and leverage. And right. That's the it's a unique combination. It's a, it's a unique combination. It's also a frightening combination in some ways in that that leverage comes with. How, you know, it, it's a long swing. Right. I've had scouts, you know, talking about Russ Brandon. It's like, well, maybe Brandon has a shorter swing. When <laughs> wow. Wow. Russ Brandon is not we, known for a short swing. We saw Russ Brandon together at the yeah. 1995 Saturday League All-Star Game Home Run Derby, if memory serves. I don't yes. think he made the finals that year because that was the Andrew and Vladimir year. But um, but you know, uh, although actually I think Derek uh, Gibson, Derek won, Gibson the, won, uh, won, won the award, Derek you know, won, the, won, won the home run. But, but a guy like Gallo, the thing about it is, is for all that he's athletic. Right. I mean, he's he's a he's really right now kind of a lean six right. foot five, right. Massive, you know, power hitter. He. So the thing about it is, is that you have him. You have Lewis Brinson, who Lewis Brinson right now has four plus tools. <laughs> now the problem is, is that he's also right. striking out in forty three percent of his at bats. The fifth tool, you know, when you say he's a five tool player, Lewis Brinson's not a five tool player because. Right. Maybe some way down the road he gets to that point, but the reality of it is, is that you're asking a lot because right now if you threw a present grade on him, again, not a scout, but it's a two, clearly. Right. And you say if you're he saying – He would be hard-pressed to make consistent contact at the big league level considering that he's hard-pressed to make it at the Sally League level. If you're a 230 hitter in the Sally League, I think we can safely say you're a sub-200 hitter in the big leagues. Yeah. That's nothing he's, – he's, he's in low A for a reason, but – that being said, to say he's a five to a player, you're saying that okay, well, I'm thinking long term he'll be a six. To be a five to a player, you have five plus tools. Yeah, that's a four grade jump. 
I mean, I you know that's that's more than double projecting, right? That's that's <laughs> asking a lot. But these guys, if it all comes together, Lewis Brinson, Nomar Mazzara, Ronald Guzman is on the DL right now. Jesus Alfaro, who may be the most athletic catcher in the minors. I oh mean, yeah, I think he has to be. Uh, you know, if you said tomorrow, you know what? And I think Alfaro can catch long term. But if you said we're going to move him to right field. Okay, he's got a cannon of an arm, and by the way, he can run well enough to do right. that. I mean, this is this is not something where that would be difficult for him, I don't think. You know, Nick Williams, who's probably got the the best hands and and probably is the, maybe the safest of all these guys because I think he's got a, a more his hit tool's safer. He's than the, the safest rest. bet to hit. That said, the other parts of his game are pretty raw. And oh he, yeah, and his strikeout to walk ratio is nothing. He makes more contact, but he doesn't mm-hmm. walk. So right. even he. I, I, that's just funny. He's sort of safe compared to these other guys, but, but I, they're all risky. Yeah, I think he's just as risky almost. I mean, they're, just, they're all they're, there's not one of these guys. Again, if you if you said map out five years from now on any of these guys, and you said they didn't make the big leagues, you go, okay, I, I see that as I, I. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is, you compare that to this team has more prospects, more legit prospects on it than any team other team in the minors. At the same time, they don't have one guy like. You can, all, you can say, well, yes, they're an A-ball, so that's always true. But if you said Carlos Correa's in low A, if you told me right now, you said five years from now, Carlos Correa's basically washed out and he's not a prospect and he never ended up being a big leaguer, I would say, okay, wait, when, uh, you know, what, what, horrible, what horrible thing happened to him? Because barring something horrible happening, this guy's going to be a big leaguer. You know, you, you can say that about some guys in low A. If you told me that Albert Almora – is never going to make it. You know, I'd say, wait, I, I can see that maybe he won't be impact. Right. But I don't see how this guy, with the approach he has, with the polish he has, right. with the tools he has, how this guy's not going to make it. You said that with any of these Hickory guys. I go, yeah, no, I could see that. You just did, you know, the swing and miss. Swing and miss is, is swing and miss. I mean, it's hard to, hard to make an impact on the game. The thing is, all these guys, J.J., have the tools to help a team, especially – uh, guys like Brinson and Williams and Alfaro to help a team win games without hitting, which should buy them the time to develop the hit tool. Gallo is the one who is not, you know, defense is really his forte. He's not a bad defender, but he's a, but you know, there's not too many six foot five third, third base. Third base is always going to be uh, one of those questionable, like, okay, can he stick there? And, right. you know, because for good reason. You look at a six foot five guy and say, "Okay, so how big is this guy going to be long term?" Yeah, he's he's a teenager right now. When he's twenty five, is is he going to be you know six foot you know five two hundred and fifty pounds? And if that's the case, I don't care how good his arm is, he he's not going to be a third baseman. Right. And the thing about it is, is with him, you hate to see him move to first base because he has an amazing arm. But that being said. This is a guy who you say, "Well, is the power going to play at first? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's not a question. I mean, he Joy Gallo is if Joey, sound, if Joey Gallo is a big leaguer, he's going to be a thirty home run guy if he can hit enough for average to where you can play him to get his five hundred at bats. I mean, could you see him being is a Chris Davis career comp? Uh, that, that doesn't sound like that's too far fetched. Chris Davis has huge arm strength. Uh, we saw him throw mm-hmm. in the nineties last year in the major leagues. In that extra inning game, I mean, that's what I think of when I think of Joey Gallo. I think of Chris well, Davis. I think, and I think that that's a perfect – I mean, they both came up with the same organization. The yeah. other thing, we, we did a story about this not that long ago. Yep. Talked about, if you look at power, power is often the last thing to develop. And by that, usually when you hear that, you think of a guy like Joe Mauer hitting four <laughs> home runs. Sean, you know, you hit a guy hitting four home runs in the minors, and you're like, ah, the power's there, it'll develop late. 
You can look at it the other way too, though. Guys with that kind of power, it often takes longer for the rest of it to develop. Right. Joey Gallo's power is present. I mean, he's he's going to finish in the top five in homers, and he missed a month right. more than a month of the season. That's amazing. He would have led the minors in homers if he had been healthy, I think it's pretty safe to say. And he set a record last year in half a season in the Arizona League. Right. You go from that, but you know that what that story talked about a couple of issues ago was a guy like Chris Davis, a guy like Jose Bautista. Mark Trumbo. La- Mark Trumbo. These guys – they do it in a different way. It's a more frustrating way when you watch them because uh, a guy who has the hit tool but the other stuff, the power has to come. So, okay, so you're seeing them spray line drive. It's like, man, I wish I'd see a little more impact there. But that's not frustrating to watch, you know, if you're, a, if you're him or if you're a scout or whatever. Right. When you watch Joey Gallo, watch two games of Joey Gallo and, like, one the first game, first time up, he basically lines a home run to the opposite field that just kept going and going and going. It's one of those things you go, wow. Which I can remember Josh Norris's description of it. It was like a he had a great description about like a tracer. It was a it was a, yeah. a like a cutting tracer that almost, almost he was afraid it was going to knock over the light post. That's is the way it. you put it. That was it. And you saw that, and then you see the next three times up, which it was interesting that the pitcher who was Matt Milroy was sitting ninety two, ninety three, for everyone else. Every time he faced Gallo after that, it was 94-96 against Gallo. Hmm. But he got Gallo, chased him up in the zone, and that's the concern with the swing. Up in the zone, Gallo couldn't catch it. I mean, The, the it, other it, fascinating part, J.J., I think, was that you wrote about how the Rangers organization isn't really worried about their strike at this point. They are they're focused more on learn your swing and try to learn recon- pitch recognition, that kind of thing. We don't want you shortening up with two strikes or any of that kind of and stuff right trust now. Me, he does not. <laughs> right. So right now, it's almost a Cuban approach to, to after seeing the Cuban team last month. But there's really a two-strike approach and learning to make more uh, contact and stay alive in at-bats. That's not an organizational um, emphasis right now for anything. To That's a – It's not, and it's not like a we're going to let you get to the majors without it, but it's a – their philosophy is, is – and, and I was talking to uh, their farm director, Tim Bapura, about this. And he made the point, it's like, it's not like this is a blanket philosophy. Right. It's an individualized one. And it's like, okay, where are they? We're not there with Joey Gallo yet. Right. We're, we're, we're not there. That will come. But first, we want him recognizing we're, we're not. The, the best way to put it is, is we don't want to focus on, have him focusing on 12 things when he's, you know, at the right. plate. It, you can't do that. And so what we're, at, okay, recognizing pitches. What am I, where am I in the count? Is this where I can take advantage of something? Have I got the pitcher into a defensive, you know, where right. I can really pound something? All that. And there, as they talk about being ready to hit, you know, being focused. Because that's the thing I think a lot of people forget about. I when like you, that quote that you had from Tim Perpera was like, we want you ready to hit in the, mentally as soon as you grab the bat out of the rack. That's something I think that as fans it's easy, easy to forget is that, I thought Jack Ekin just had a, a really good feature on Todd Helton. Jack Ekin, yep. to me, our, our Rockies correspondent, wasn't for us. It was uh, somewhere else. Sports on Earth. Sports on Earth. But he's a master of talking to the uh, the aging player who's in his you know at the end of his career. I, I go back to Jack Ekin writing for the ba- Bill James Baseball book in like 1990 and writing these things about Hal McRae. Yep. I love that piece. I've told him that myself you know a couple times. Like, but he's talking to Helton, and Helton. One of the things Helton said was is the problem he has now is is you know, if it's 7-2 and it's the seventh inning, he struggles to focus in that bat. Whereas he said when he was, you know, 10 years ago, 
Yeah. Every at bat, he was just laser focused on right. it. We're on the he other has, end right now. He has 15, 16 years of experience telling him this at bat really doesn't matter. Right. And he's having to, to coax himself into thinking that it does matter. Whereas we're seeing guys at this point who are on the other end of this, they haven't gotten to 30-year-old Todd Helton yet. They've right. gotten – Or 40. You're right. You know what I'm saying? But 40, he doesn't. <laughs> right. no, saying about 30, he did. Yeah. What they're at is they're at 18, 19 years old. And sometimes, you know, you see it, you see it every Sally League game I go to, you know, every Carolina League game I go to, you see guys have at-bats. It's like, man, I don't know if his head was in that at-bat. Right. You know, and you see catchers, and it's like, I, I think – his attention wandered there a little bit, and that's why he had a little trouble receiving that. I'm sure it happens to pitchers a little harder to tell. Right. But it's easy to not think, you know, to not pay attention to that. But it's really a, a key thing that had players have to learn is they're at game, we're watching this week, they're at game 135. Right. It's not, you know, they're at game 135, and their season's over. And it's not easy to play with energy. And these guys, I'll, I'll, you know, and most of what I saw, like a, Jorge Alfaro had a, there was a pop bunt in the first game we watched that was a key situation of the inning. Like, there was a couple guys on. They wanted to move over. If he can get back to the backstop and catch this, it's going to help really turn the inning. At the same time, it was one of those bunts where there was – I put it as a .001% chance that he could catch it. <laughs> uh, Josh put it as there was no chance he could catch it. But he sprinted out of his – you know, turned around – Took off to the dugout, you know, to the backstop. He didn't catch it, of course, because he couldn't, you know. But it was it was energy, it was effort. But again, those that focus is is really hard to maintain. You have focus, and then you have on top of that, like game we're watching, two games we're watching. Lewis Brinson right now has a stance that you would never want him to probably use in the big leagues. That was fascinating to hear you talk about that. He's right up on the plate. I when he sit there, it really looks like he's begging a pitcher. Okay, throw a fastball up and in and on. And he said he was crouched, basically. He's crouched. Not Bagwell-like, but close. No, but he's been over. And, you know, he's not – it's not a stance you would lo- want for him long-term in any way, shape, or form because it doesn't allow him – it, it kind of really cuts down the swing. Makes sense right now. He's striking right. out 43% of that bat. But I asked the hitting coach about it, and he said that's something he's come up with. You know, it's a temporary thing. But he's trying to work on some things, and he wants to see that make, you know, okay, let me try this. Let me try this. Let me make adjustments. And, again, it's probably – I don't think you're going to see Lewis Brinson, big leaguer, who is in Phil, a Ricky – you know, it's not Phil a Ricky Plantier. crowd, but, you know, but, yeah, the Phil Plantier. You well, know, he's, he's more kind of hunched over at his waist. It's more of, like huh. – again, he's and, and he's also and – he's, and he's standing at the very inside edge of the batter's box. But hmm. what part of it is is that I think he's had a little trouble balls away. His hands are so quick, he almost wants someone. Like, it looks like he's going, oh, well, I can bust him in on that. Right. And Don't that, bust me in, pitcher. And, and it's really one of those things where Lewis Brinson wants you to go, oh, I can bust him in on that. And if you do, I can punish that. That's the pitcher's briar patch. Right. And so it, it's one of those things where you see that. All this goes into it. It's fascinating because this is a team. The future is wide open Right. But we don't know which way it's going to go. That's uh, I, I mean, I'll put it this way. I'm doing the Sally League Top 20. I, I I could see five or six guys from that club making that Top 20. And the best prospect may not be there anymore. Right. C.J. Edwards. He's the one the who guy. I feel you know, probably most confident about. Yeah. But of the guys who are there, the hitters we're talking about, there could you know there could be up to five maybe who make it. At the same time, I wouldn't put any of those in that top tier of, okay, these are the top right. five guys in that 
We already mentioned Alfaro's in these Arizona Fall League rosters. Well, we uh, we'll start with that, JJ. We'll use that as a transition. We'll we'll go back to front. Uh, just just wanted to, I wrote some uh, wrote a couple thousand words on uh, Arizona Fall League roster highlights. I'm sure we could have written more, but those were just the highlights of the preliminary. Uh, it is, it is points. really true. It's like uh, if you want us to, we could probably write a you know a little summary on each one of these guys, which right. might be going a little far considering. Uh, that's probably what we'll end up doing for uh, MLB Network broadcast uh, <laughs> research purposes. But um, just real quick, J.J., on that surprise roster, I mean, like, uh, these are all these rosters, of course, are up at BaseballAmerica.com. Um, well, just even over the whole overview rosters, I guess the thing that really we'll just sticks out, well, Mesa's roster is so good. Well, we could, could, I guess we could save the best for last or we could start with them. But they, they really, that roster is sick. This overall, the overall I, group I is I feel like that, the again, and – uh, my one word of warning is: is AFL rosters always look their best at the start. Right. You know, you don't add uh, a Mike. You you don't add a Mike Trout caliber player like you know gets added to the roster right. a week before the season started starts. But you will see prospects who are on here get pulled because either they have an injury or by the time the instructs are over, team looks at it and goes, you know what, you're this guy's guy he's gassed. Let's let's just shut him down for. You're gonna see that you know when the, with the pitchers, some of these guys who are on here who are gonna pitch. We'll pitch a couple of weeks and then they'll be done. There, there's all kind of things like that. I, uh, the best way I can put it is, is there was the year that Anthony Rendon was supposed to be in the fall league, and like right. Anthony Rendon was a week away from being in the fall league for the entire season. For all six, six or seven weeks of the fall. And it's like, oh, he never played in the fall <laughs> league. Right. So he was on this original roster. So again, it's it's mega stacked right now. At the same time, it won't be this stacked when it starts. That being said, it's. It's something I, I, you know, it's it's going to be a fun fall league. It should be. I, I like that Mesa team just for this. There's just a contrast to me of an organization like the Cubs that obviously hasn't won in the major leagues in a while. And but, the, but the reloading aspect, if you're a Cubs fan, you want to see evidence that the organization is headed in the right direction. Just look at the hitters at Mesa. Uh, I, I, Baez, Bryant. Almora, Soler. I would say Baez, Bryant, and Soler are in that same discussion with Gallo and Sano for most raw power in the minor leagues. And that's three and three of those guys are Cubs. That's just ridiculous. And they're all on the same fall league roster. So if you're in Mesa this fall, go to BP. Go early and if you're going to go. Go early and go often. I'll ask you with this with them. Who else from the Cubs? I mean, the, the Cubs are sending Aroides Vizcaino, Baez, Bryant, Amora, Soler. Plus CG- uh, Armando Rivera yeah. and, uh, and Matt Luson. But, yes, Rivera, the Cuban, they gave a decent amount of money to right. this year, too. But if you said, who from the Cubs do you want to see in the Fall League? Yeah, this is it. You, I mean, C.J. Edwards, you understand why not. There's no right. reason. He's in A-ball, and he threw a lot of innings this year. Besides that, pretty much it's like, yes, that's that's who I want to see. C.J. Edwards is the only person in the organization I would want to see who – who would be reasonable to send here who's not there. So I mean, I'd love to see Arzvendi, Alcantara, but they've got – if you're going to pick four guys from their organization, hitters-wise, to take, yeah. Baez, Bryant, Almora, Soler are the four. That's their top four hitters. And that team has – you know, you want toolsy guys who kind of struggled this year. You're not quite sure what to make of them. There's Brian Goodwin. You want guys who are real surprise seasons this year, Devin Travis. He's on this roster. You want uh, – some of the a handful of the best middle infielders in the minor leagues. Well, you have both Baez, whether he's a middle infielder or not long term, we don't know. And Addison Russell. I mean, th- there's this. They've got a little bit of everything. Um, it, it's a fascinating roster, and and then you also have some of your college baseball all stars <laughs> that uh, 
you know, names that people who listen to all the BA podcasts will remember Robert Benincasa as an All-American. Mm-hmm. They're going to remember Corey Knable, who's having a great pro debut this year. Uh, closing, I think Detroit wants him to start, get him some more innings in the fall league. And then, you, of course, you have Michael Roth, who I Is think made his, made his claim as best college baseball pitcher of all time. Uh, in 2011 and 2012, I, I don't think he is, but he he made his claim to that he could put his name in the ring. And, and Matt Perk goes, "Hey, do remember my freshman year was awesome, epic." Yes, <laughs> Matt Perk, I think is on the uh, to me, JJ Matt Perk is on the Anthony Rendon plan. I'll I'll believe him when I see yeah. him in the fall <laughs> league, you know. So, but yes, for one glorious hat turned to the side, goofy glasses wearing year, Matt Perk was a, was a was a tremendous player. Um, wh- who, where, where did you want to go next, JJ? Well, I, I, okay, so let's go. Which which team is Buxton's? Let's see here. <laughs> there you go. I'm, 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 I'm transparent. I am transparent. Formerly the Phoenix Desert Dogs. Their first year in Glendale. Uh, yeah, heck of a to, complex. Welcome they to upgraded. Glendale. Well, but, uh, yes, the reason I wanted to, to bring this team up is, is that for – okay, Byron Buxton's on the team. <laughs> go. That's enough. <laughs> That's I mean, right. I, you don't need anything else. But there are more than just that on this team. This is, a, this is a great infield. This is a really – intriguing infield and it's just different all these guys almost all these guys had really big years this year or are pretty high ceiling players a couple of interesting things okay so one max kepler's listed as an infielder yeah i think he is actually going to play first base right which is and that's what the twins have talked about for him three years ago they said this might be a guy who winds up a center fielder if he stays this size but if he starts getting bigger this guy might be a corner guy we believe in the power and he he got a tremendous start this year although he slumped in Mm -hmm. august but uh, first time in full season ball. <laughs> the other thing is, is that center field. There's an occupied sign on that one. You know, I'm <laughs> sorry, but it's like, yeah, you're you're not playing center field for the Twins. That's not happening. Correct. And and it's not because Aaron Hicks is over there. I'll, I'll put it that way too. Correct. But so he's he's basically the first baseman on this roster. I so guess along f- with Travis Mater, former Phillies prospect, he's now with the Reds, which is a nice <laughs> little kind of reclamation for him to get to the fall league. Uh, there may not be a more prospect-laden group, this infielder group, because really, right. no offense to Travis Mater. He's by far the You take him off, you yeah. take him away, and, and he's, I mean, he's a little bit prospect. I'll, I'll put it this way, I don't think he's going to be in a rest top 30 when I do the 30. Right. Everyone else in the infield on this, and we're talking everyone else, is going to be not just a top 30 prospect in the organization. They may all be top 10. Yeah, Travis Mater is the only guy on this list who you don't expect to make to the major leagues as a minimum. And, like, you know, to me, Micah Johnson is... Super utility guy. Uh, Emilio right. Bonifacio. Exactly. You, you read my mind. But the rest of these guys feel like regulars. I mean, I think Marcus Simeon could be a regular, like an offensive second baseman, or he might have to be a third baseman. He's the hope, next. I hope it's second for him because that's where I think he fits. I agree. I'm just saying like, the infield mm-hmm. defense is the real question yeah. for Marcus Simeon. But that guy's had a tremendous season this year. Eddie Rosario just flat rakes everywhere he goes. Uh, you know, Colin and Moran again, another nice guy, start. Eddie Rosario, used to be a center fielder or a second right. base. Oh, second base. I better work on to this the, one. The Twins saw that one coming kind of early <laughs> for him. Um, but uh, uh, Derek Corey, Dietrich, who's, who's going to be a power-hitting middle, right. you know, infielder for the and, – And Corey Seager is going to be a power-hitting something. And what are the, he might even be a shortstop. You know, Corey Seager might be the least talked about elite prospect because – as a the same stage of his career, he was thought of as a bigger, taller, more athletic version of his brother. So better athlete, better body, similar field to hit. Now his older brother has become a field to hit guy where the power was the last thing to emerge. Now he's hitting for power. He's like a profile third baseman. And 
Corey Seager ha- has a chance to stay a he's shortstop a, and he's even at 6'4", 215. And he's ahead of his brother. He is ahead of the similar pace. So that, and that, Corey and, and by a, the way, then there's Colin Moran. Watched, I've seen three games of Moran in the last uh, yeah. two weeks. You've seen Moran about 78 times, I think. <laughs> a decent um, amount. Um, but, but Colin Moran, who you know, the number six pick in this year's draft, who basically – in just hits line drive after line drive after line drive after line drive. And I will say, just talking to a lot of amateur guys, uh, having gone to Under Armour, you know, um, and just talking about this past year's draft as a way to grease the skids to talk about this year's players, the 2014 players, you know, Colin Moran is still divisive. Just talking to cross-checkers and scouting directors, uh, just how much impact is he going to have? So, that, And when I'm watching him in, the, in games, it's like, I can see that. I mean, yeah. because – I, part of that comes from there's power there. Like in BP, one right. of the BPs I watched, there's a very tall, big video board. Like there is most all ballparks, yeah, exactly. new ballparks. But Greensboro has a very tall video board in uh, in right center. He hit home run way up, you know, probably 20, 10, 15 feet, 20, 15 to 20 feet from the top of it. That's massive power. He doesn't show that generally in games. So in games, no. his approach is Left center field. line drive, yep. line drive. And, hey, there's a lot of there's a lot of singles and doubles in that approach. The reason though that people wonder is is that when you ask any scout who's seen him, you're like, so what? How's he looked at third base? He's like, he's not bad there. Right. No one's going. Oh yeah, he's an impact right. defender. Right. He has to be a third base. But uh, honestly, I think he is going to be. <laughs> this is just funny. He's going to be what, what some people thought Zach Cox would be. Zach Cox was supposed to be a power guy. Um, the power never really materialized, but for me, I, I like Colin Moran better than Zach Cox. But that's damning him with faint praise. But no, the, the, that that infield is and is loud. The like, other thing that this team has, though, is is that I, if all these pitchers who are listed on here, right? Which I, I'm a little more skeptical of the pitchers showing up. But if the pitchers listed on here, like Travis, like Trevor May, Trevor May's already throwing 144 innings. Yeah, I don't think I don't see this happening. But uh, that said, the Twins have had some of their minor league pitchers go like. 180, 190 innings for a season. But so. Andrew Heaney, Trevor May, Alex Meyer, that those are three of the better arms who are going to be in the fall league. And Meyer, you have to expect, if he's healthy, will will go the whole time because right. he missed time during the year. It's time for him to – this is an opportunity for him to make up for last lost time. You also have some big velocity right. in the bullpen, guys like Colby Suggs or Zach Jones, um, guys who, who throw really hard. You might see some triple digits if you go see Glendale. Um Still don't have our Dodgers pitchers yet, so I think the Dodgers don't want to commit anyone to the fall league who they still might trade the next two days. <laughs> so before, right before. And Ned Coletti's never met a prospect he didn't want to trade. So, um, so I was going to move on to Peoria, the Javelinas. Yes, the only uh, baseball team that I can think of uh, named after a Pixie song. I wish that that was really the case, but um, I don't think it is. But again, all these lineups, are, are all these rosters, I, I, I we could start, you know, I, we could start with Nolan Fontana, one of your uh, – Personal Nolan, cheese balls. Nolan Fontana. Nolan Fontana, yeah. <laughs> it, makes me, it makes me think of uh, liking lamp and carpet. <laughs> Wasn't yeah. his name Brian Fontana? Yeah. I believe. Nolan Fontana. Sorry, yes, Nolan. That's okay. Yeah. But Nolan Fontana, <laughs> I will start, though, with Austin Hedges, who at this point with Darnold up, uh, I think pretty safely the best catching prospect in the game right now. Yeah, this is an interesting roster. I, I, I agree with you. I think Austin Hedges is the best catching prospect in the minor leagues. A couple things stood out to me on this roster. First of all, Jafet Amador is not 215 no. pounds. <laughs> that is a misprint. He is 315. <laughs> they, just, they, they went, wait a second. This says 315. That can't be right. <laughs> and uh, no, it is right. It's second of all, it looks like this guy can hit. This is a big yeah. right-right Mexican League signee by the Astros 
whose track record in, in Mexico was hitting and who's hitting so far in pro ball. So, but uh, he's not 215. He's 315. Now there's anything wrong with that. I'm not a fat guy making fat jokes, although I might do that later. I was going to um, say, you are a fat guy who sometimes makes fat jokes. I like to make fat, fat jokes. jokes. Second of all, the Astros didn't send their top guys. The one they did send, Delano DeShields, has moved to the outfield. I think that was kind of inevitable. Especially uh, once the Altuve uh, right. You know, that extension. said, I still don't think Jose Altuve ever is going to stand in somebody's way who has bigger tools. And I, 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 do, I, I don't even think he's going to be the regular if and when they contend. I do think, though, that with the, the Shields, I, I talked about it after Futures game. It's like I came back from Futures game. It's like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's that a, is the stockiest 100-steal guy in baseball history. Yeah. I mean, when I think 100 steals, pretty much. He looks like a football player. Everyone who has 100 steals. Like, Ricky Henderson is the bulkiest 100-steal guy ever. Right. I don't think there's any, like, the, the other guys who are in the consideration. Well, him and Tim Raines both were thick-bodied, strong body, but also electric-looking and, bodies, and which DeShields is athletic, but not but to the range the Shields, like, if you, level. I mean, again, if you said, like, it's a football body, and if you said football body, it's not a cornerback body. Right. It's right. a running back body. Right. That's not, like, that's what I'm trying to say, like, like Tim Raines, Tim Raines is a running back body. I mean, I mean, not a running back; it's a cornerback body. body. You know, even though he was kind of stockier, but the Shields, I think that move as much as anything is is no, this is where he's going to play. And the reality is, is that hey, it may center field could be you know a, a very good fit for him. And their future second baseman is Nolan Fontana, more than likely. That, that's also a possibility. I, you know, you you have I that. Love Nolan yeah, I, I I know you do. <laughs> Uh, again, if you go on the, we'll you know we'll see if it happens. Right now, we got Danny Holson on this right. roster. If he is, that'd be very useful to see. And if he is, JJ, it's going to be Danny Holson 2.0 because he had two rotator cuff slash shoulder pain flare ups during the year, and Jack Zarensic told the media in Seattle, there's probably going to have to be some mechanics adjustments here. So you're going to see probably he's a the cautionary. He's is. the cautionary tale of what, hey. Credit to you, you saw him. I mean, but you saw him in person, and you came away. And you're like, why That's is not no what one? I thought. Yeah. But why isn't? I mean, my thought was because what well, you said. Why is no one talking about how crossfire this guy is? Right. Why is this not an issue? Why is it an issue for some people, and why wasn't it for him? And in hindsight, maybe it was an issue. Right. And it also, he just he just a frightening reminder of Kyle Sleeth. Kyle Sleeth was the third overall pick of the Tigers back in 2003. He was the top college pitcher in that draft, drafted right after Delman Young and Ricky Weeks. And, you know, he got the double-A, had success. Then he got the double-A and struggled a little bit. Tigers decided to make his direction more to the plate, took away the crossfire. Here comes Tommy John, and he was never the same. And you just wonder, Danny Holton just has – he's left-handed, but he reminds me an awful lot of the story of Kyle Sleeth. So, uh, you know – We'll see. I'm fascinated to see and if Danny Halton does pitch in the fall league. What does the delivery look like? Have they taken the UVA out of him? And because I'll say this: on the flip side, like if he doesn't, he's a very hard guy to rank. Yes, correct. He, 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 it makes our job a lot easier if he goes to the fall league because then you have another look. Correct. Whereas if you're going off of he never came back from that, and we don't know until 2014, that's tough. Another guy for the Mariners, Brandon Maurer. Yeah, exactly. This 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 is this is one of the more interesting pitching staffs between Maurer, um, Jason Adam has had a big stuff, not much results career Ken, basically, right? Yeah, Ken Giles, who, uh, who yeah. throws as hard as anyone, pretty yeah. much. Um, there's just a lot of interesting arms, uh, and in this on this entire team, Carson Smith, a big six six guy out of uh, 
believe it's a Texas State. I mean, so so you know, Austin Hedges and uh, Cameron Rupp, but especially, uh, th- those catchers, they're going to be tested. This is a team with a lot of velocity and mm-hmm. some some nasty stuff. It's going to be a challenging team to catch. And, and we haven't talked about you know, like Corey Spangenberg's here, who you know yep. it. Probably never. It'll be hard for him to ever live up to that first half season that he had, but still, you know, is an intriguing prospect. This is the all-tough profile infield because Amador's 300 pounds. Orlando Calixte is just kind of like did your typical, I think, more typical right. profile. Oh, he really is field? Is he gonna? He's got some power even in there, but is right. he gonna hit enough? And Chesler Cuthbert. Uh, I, I, every scouting report is, boy, he's. What happened to you, Sulu? I, you it, know? The funny thing is that I was talking to this guy about him. It's like when I saw him. The way he put it was, is when I saw him two years ago. I would have thought that he'd be in the big leagues by now. Right. When I watch him now, and I'm like, not only is he not better than he was when I saw he's him worse. two years ago, he might be worse. Yeah, cankles. Yeah, cankles, and, well, and he, his cankles. body was never good. But yeah. he's, the funny thing is that they still say, you know what, he's still not a bad – you look at him and you say, long-term, maybe he can't play third base. He's still not that bad over there now. But so you got to hit, exactly, and that's been the hit. problem. But Fontana's not a typical profile guy. Patrick Kivlihan played four years of football at Rutgers. Uh, Tommy Medica, uh, kind of a – John Manuel's cheese ball sleeper because the guys always hit JJ everywhere Tommy Medica has been and where he's been healthy, he's hit. And once upon a time, this guy was like a freshman All American catcher at Santa Clara. I don't think he's ever going to catch again because the, the descriptions of his injury to his shoulder when he slid in college was that he ripped the muscle off the bone in his right shoulder, like the whole thing, like basically his whole right shoulder just blew apart. Yeah. It's just a gruesome description of the injury and. Yeah, that's not so, – so we'll see what Tommy Medica can do. And, and Chris Taylor, a guy who's for an, an, a college baseball shortstop, was very athletic and plus runner and all those kind of things. And pro ball, it's like, eh, utility guy. But yeah. he can hit. So <laughs> that that's an organization that has gotten a lot of mileage out of those kinds of infielders. When you look at Nick Franklin and uh, Brad Miller, the infield guys who – don't have big plus-plus tools but can hit and are athletic. I mean, just aren't as flashy as the typical the, the, Latin American but that middle is, infielder. But it's funny, though, when you talk about that, like the college shortstop. Because like, Brad Miller yeah. Brad Miller in college wasn't a great defensive shortstop because he was too erratic. He was erratic as hell. But when you talk about him among college shortstops, what stood out about him is like, this guy was the premium athletic college yes. shortstop. Correct. And then he comes to, to pro ball and it's like, Really, the question long-term is, is, is he going to be athletic enough to stay at that's shortstop? Right. I mean, that's right. That's just the difference of it. It's like, it is. It's like, wow, he's a premium athlete. And, and now Brad like, Miller is a guy that I was happy to be wrong about. Uh, I definitely did not think he would be a big leaguer, uh, a big league everyday shortstop. I mean, I just remember the throwing problems he had that's at not, Clemson. That's so not I, the biggest surprise to me, though, among uh, college shortstops who are everyday shortstops in the big leagues now. Who's that? Jordy Mercer. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I think I like Jordy Mercer even better than I like Brad Miller. Wow. But just because every time I saw Brad Miller, he was throwing underhand. I mean, he was literally throwing underhand. It was like he thought he was Kit Ticaldi playing shortstop. So, <laughs> first of all, kudos to Brad Miller. But second of all, that you know, whoever the infield coordinator is with the Mariners who worked with him. Nice work. Yeah, nice work because he clearly had the body control. I think that's the other part of it is the scouting. He had the body. I'm pretty sure Garrett Ball in this area would have been his signing scout. Um, who had the – you just see a guy who was athletic and had the body control that he could get away with making throws from different arm angles. Every once in a while, you're going to have to make that, but obviously the instruction, uh, the player development side, to get him to be more consistent with an arm slot, that's not underhand. That, and that where was, the ball actually comes in straight instead right. of like, well, you know, that, that had some good ride on it. Yeah. Now, he's one of the more fascinating players to me. So, Salt but River Rafters, Jason. Salt River Rafters, this, to me, this is the fascinating – there's a lot of fascinating pitching staffs. Again, we throw the 
We'll see if they all make it here. Caveat, right. but Marcus Stroman. Marcus yeah. Stroman, to me, is as fascinating now as he was when he was drafted. And he in has innings to make up. I mean, he was suspended he, the first part of the year. He was suspended. That being said, when he came back, I he's one of those guys, the reason that he is projected that some people say he's going to be a reliever is nothing about his stuff. Right. It's nothing about how he pitches. It's about the profile. It's about can a five foot nine guy actually do that? That's it. It's about you're trying to think of big league starters who look like that. When you're first scout, you're looking at that and trying to picture that in the big leagues, and you can't do it. Right. So. And but you take that out of it, and there's nothing else like that you, to make you say reliever for him. And also going through helping Josh Norris actually today with an Eastern League follow list and talking about Eastern League prospects. You go to the other elite pitching prospects in that league, and he has by far the best strikeout to walk numbers. Oh, yeah. In terms of guys who have stuff in that league, uh, he, he has the best combination of stuff and Eastern League performance probably of any pitcher in that league. So. Uh, I think, but you have – this is probably, to me, uh, as far as depth of number of intriguing pitchers. Because let's be honest. Yeah, no, I think this is In the, the AFL, roster. you usually have a lot of interesting hitters. Usually the, the, the bad part of an AFL game is, is you have a lot of pitchers who really are just kind of they're, – they're there for, you know, for – they're there to get innings because you have to throw right. someone. Yeah, they, these are guys who uh, – You got him, you got Stroman, you got Aaron Sanchez who, you know, want to see how healthy yeah. – you know, if he can stay healthy through this. The always fascinating Tyler Matzik. Tyler Matzik, Mike Montgomery, Matt Stites coming back, you know, re, uh, coming back from injury, uh, pick up, you know, in, in trade at – at the trade deadline. And then, you know, to me, it's just kind of the ultimate reclamation project in this for Tampa Bay. You know, Tampa Bay does not usually draft. They're not thought of as a team that drafts college pitchers and develops. I know they had David Price, but, you know, I'm thinking of Hellickson, Cobb, mm-hmm. Matt Moore, um, even James Shields was a, was a JC guy. Um, but Grayson Garvin was the SEC Pitcher of the Year in 2011, J.J. There are already four other SEC pitchers from that season who are in the major leagues. Alex Wood or Kevin Gossman. Uh, Sonny Gray, who's on his own team, and there's another guy I'm already forgetting. Uh, I, and I'm not even th- – and the thing is, I, in that assessment, I left out Paco Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. There's really five. So it's kind of crazy. Just this is the weekend rotation guys from the SEC. And Grayson Garvin was the SEC Pitcher of the Year that year. Um, Michael Roth was the other guy. Michael Roth should have been SEC Pitcher of the Year. He had an ERA one run per game better than Grayson Garvin. I don't know why Michael Roth was an SEC Pitcher of the Year. That's just one I'd love to did revisit. Did he win two more games or something? He won like four more games. No, Roth did. But, of course, Roth – and both teams went to Omaha. It's like people had Roth fatigue or something or didn't believe Roth uh, he's was He's got to be better than that. He had an ERA of one. We expected – He had a 106 ERA when the year ended. And anyway, and Roth was the guy. Sonny Gray was Vanderbilt's guy. It's a really vexing one when you look back at it. Anyway – so, so Grayson Garvin, though, since then basically got drafted. His bonus was reduced because of a physical thing with the elbow. He tried to pitch without surgery for the Matt Harvey fans out there. He made like 10 starts. I, I'm not a fan of the, oh, I'll just pitch with it. Right. He went 10 starts in 2012, I think it was, couldn't go, and had Tommy John is coming back from that this year. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see which, what Grayson Garvin has uh, going into fall league because if he's healthy, I think he would be a guy who could – go through a lineup two and three times in the fall league and really get a significant amount of work. And the reason I say that is is that you, you know then, like, that's basically a time bomb. And if you, you're just le- – just, I know why people don't want to have injuries, you know, surgeries, but you're just waiting for the surgery to happen then at that point. But 
I switching agree. on to Scottsdale, we're going to hit this one quick because I think John has to – we've got to wrap this podcast up. Yep. Um, we don't know who the Mets pitchers are going to be. We don't know who the Yankees pitchers yeah. are going to be. Or we don't know who some of the Pirates pitchers are going to be. So this one's a little bit more up in the air. Kyle Crick's on this roster. Right. You know, very a very good arm to watch. Shea Simmons is a intriguing, uh, you know, short reliever, you know, for the uh, – but Scottsdale's roster didn't do much for me, which is a shame. I I, th- I don't think I have this hat anymore, but I had a very old Scottsdale Scorpions hat that no. I think has finally you know disintegrated. If you had a team that you were going to skip seeing, this, this is it. This is the team to skip. I mean, if you look at their position players, like when we talked about that infield, where you say every one of these infielders is a prospect. All these guys, with maybe the exception, I'd say the exception of Alan Hansen, who I think is just a honest, a straight up, you know. Prospects. Elite prospect. Yep. All these other guys, there's a butt to it. Yeah, I mean, like Angelville alone is actually one of our Twitter questions, but from uh, Ian Miller, whose Twitter handle is at teen underscore Archer. Lana. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he asks um, about that Villalona, like why the Giants chose Villalona. I think, you know, right-handed power is hard to find, and I think they're still trying to get something back on their investment. But, but also, who else were they going to You send? have to see, again, yeah. every team. Every single team. You draft slots, basically. Every team has to send a certain number of guys. You don't get to say, eh, we're not – you know. So some of these guys are there. Again, when we talk about the pitchers, some of these pitchers are there so you can see for the evaluate for the rule five. Some of these pitchers are there because they're missed innings. Some of these pitchers are there because – You got to send Sorry. Yes, you you have thrown a lot of innings this year, but really if – we, uh, we'd rather risk your innings than someone else's innings. I was kind of looking at you, Lee Stoppelman. You know, the Cardinals had to send somebody. He's on the previous roster. He's on the Salt River roster, but, but you got to send somebody. You look at this, in, I mean, Peter O'Brien, kind of interesting catcher in the Yankees organization. Tyler Austin moving into to play first base, I would guess. I guess the other part of this also with Villalona, some usually Latin players are drafted in Dominican they have winter to get approval. leagues or Venezuelan winter leagues. I'm going to guess that because <laughs> Angel Villalona has some – prior issues in Dominican winter ball that maybe they didn't want him back in yeah, Dominican maybe, winter ball. We, we want to keep you in the U.S. as much as possible. I don't mean to be snarky about a guy who has a murder charge in his past, but that, I, mean, that's a, I mean, that's a factor. Like, I mean, and that's one of those things that you don't have control over. I saw that the Phillies, the Phillies right. wanted Michael Franco, right. who breakout prospect this year, they wanted him to go to the AFL, which would be very helpful from the standpoint of, hey, if you go to the AFL, that's an evaluation, helps evaluate, is this guy going to be ready to help us next year? Right. They – his club in you know in, in in the winter ball said nope sorry we're gonna try to play him a lot. You and don't have as much control over that when you say try to play him a lot. Yeah, they may or he may hit a buck fifty for the first four right. games and he may ride the pine. And Miguel Sano, same situation. I mean, the, you know, he was, I think he was the first pick in the Dominican winter ball draft this year. So. I, I, good reason. Exactly, they're reading Baseball America down there. Um, surprise, Sahuaros. Fun to say, Sahuaros. But uh, JJ, again, this is this is not a terribly intriguing roster to me either. Um, anybody on this roster that you would? Uh, Eduardo, Cleveland, Cleveland has a name as pitchers. Eduardo Rodriguez. That's kind of the breakout guy of this team. You're right. You no, know, Eduardo Rodriguez, because I do think that uh, he's he's he'll be a, a, a very good one of the better pitchers in this league if he's not worn out. If he does pitch in this, you know, again, that's the the caveat. Jorge Alfaro at catcher yeah. is uh, going to be worth watching. Garen Chikini. Now, this is – I'll put it this way. It's a lot better than the last one we were just talking about. Right. Garen Cicchini, uh, who probably is going to end up leading uh, the Myers in OBP this year, really a very strong step forward for him. Still I'll, like still like Jonathan Scope. Joe Wendell's kind of an intriguing yeah. sleeper kind of guy. It'll be fascinating to see what Joe Wendell does, how he looks next to playing with guys with a lot bigger tools. Because you know what? He played. He did that this year in Carolina, 
playing second base next to Francisco Lindor. But Joe Wendell, honestly, in some ways there's not a ton of difference between Joe Wendell and Nolan Fontana. One guy went to Florida and played three college series. Joe Wendell was a small college hero. But in terms of big league pro profile, back control guys, not plus runners, second baseman with arm strength at second, if they turn the double play and they hit, again, I'll throw out because they're left-handed hitting second baseman, Maybe you get an Adam Kennedy career out of it. I love that comp. I love my Adam Kennedy comp. I always end up going way too much to a guy like that, to Keith Lockhart. Keith Lockhart, Craig Council. These are the left-handed hitting second baseman we could think of who aren't Robbie Cano. Right. <laughs> Robbie, I mean, we're, the reason we're not comparing these guys to Robbie Cano is not because we're making same white-white uh, comps. It's because Robbie Cano is Robbie Cano, and these other guys are scrappy. If I could find a scrappy left-handed hitting second baseman who wasn't white, I'd make that comparison. But I can't yeah, think I'm, of I'm just thinking up from the standpoint of, like, to me, like when you say, like, Keith Lockhart, some of these guys end up being more of, like, Utility. they get 300 at bats. Right, they get, you absolutely. Know. I mean, but you, 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 to, to me uh, – Joe Wendell, I'm glad you brought him up. I, I like Joe Wendell because the guy can hit. He's always hit. He controls the strike zone. I like. He's got to hit. You got to keep hitting. But the thing about great thing about that is, is okay. He passed t- test one. He gets a check mark. Right. He hit this year. We're gonna see next year. You know, can he hit it? Can you do it at double A? Can you do it at triple A? And Correct. If you do, if you get three check marks on it, they give you okay. Now we're gonna let you uh, go to the big leagues and. I'm also uh, – we have three questions from Doug Plord, and then we'll go. And I have to answer Doug's questions because uh, Doug has been nice to me on Twitter for a long time. Um, first, if Matt Harvey does have Tommy John surgery, does it push up the Noah Syndergaard timetable? No. Uh, I'm not sure that it does. No, I, I think it actually I, – I, I think it, the only way it may is is it may be a reminder. We've heard this theory, and I think both of us kind of like this theory. If a guy's ready as a pitcher – yeah. Get them to the big leagues because you, yeah, you these are, know. yeah, I mean, you can do, try to do things to prevent injuries, but guys get hurt. Fu- and future podcast, JJ will have to be in a future, probably a future story idea is the one we were talking about the other day in Will Lingo's office. Like when do teams start just throw their hands up and start treating pitchers like running backs, you know, and as just as disposable. And I, they might, you know, they, they just might start. The, the Matt Harvey injury might be the one that just makes the Mets think, let's just, let's just crank through these guys. But I think it's harder to find power arms than it is scat back running backs. Oh, yeah. But, I mean – Oh, yeah. It, you're talking about in one it case – it seems like there's always another running back. Right. Oh, the, the difference being that you always have – like running backs, the difference between the top – the bottom 20 running backs on a roster and the top 100 who are unsigned is like nothing – that's the problem is, is with pitchers is it's like the difference between Matt Harvey you and Matt Bushman is, is, is dramatic. <laughs> and that's the, that's the only, that's where the analogy, I guess, falls down a little bit, but no it is to Matt Bushman. But, I like Matt Bushman, but it is the idea that, you know, Hey, it, if you get uh, the way I was talking to us about scout while I was at these, one of these games uh, this week, it's like Alex Wood, Alex Wood fell in the draft yeah. because he has a delivery that is frightening. I mean, it's not a delivery you would ever say looks like what you want from a starting pitcher. Chris Sale. You know, but what it comes down to is is that he fell to the second round because of that. The Braves drafted him. Right now, if that delivery means that he blows his arm out. Doesn't which, matter. They've got they their got, money's worth. They got their money's worth already because the amount of money they paid him and what he's given them this year. Yeah. And we don't know. He may pitch he may pitch another ten years, but at least he may pitch another two or three with no problems. Yep. And then you go Wow, why would we? Why did we dumb, you know, downgrade this ninety-five mile an hour lefty who throws fastball strikes? Who commands his fastball? Here's the college pitcher who commands his fastball, and people ran him down. That's uh, even when they ran him down, 
Area scouts always came back to in Crosshair because I always came back to, look, I, I sound like I don't like this guy. He's going to go good. There's some medical issues in this past. He throws fastball strikes. He pitches off his fastball. Even as guys want to knock that delivery, people always came back to, don't forget, throw strikes with his fastball. So and Alex that's, and that's always fun. And that's the thing that He's restored that's my the hardest, fastball command. That's the hardest thing to – especially usually when you talk about deliveries, there's two things you're talking about. One is he's going to get hurt. Right. And two is he can't he throw strikes. strikes. Exactly. So he, people think he might get hurt, but he throws strikes. So are you, are you listening, <laughs> Trevor Bauer? Are you listening – Daisuke Matsuzaka. <laughs> Alex Wood throws strikes with his fastball, and he throws strikes with the fastball with good velocity. I don't even think he has above average life, but he's got two of those three elements, JJ, fastball command and fastball velocity. To, to me, to me if you look at the breakout rookie pitchers this year, there, there are the guys who Jose Fernandez got there quicker yes. than expected, but Jose Fernandez is Jose Fernandez. We right. were saying that. Garrett Cole's been Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole's been Garrett Cole. Hunjin Yu. Has been Hunjin Yu. Hey, we were talking about that <laughs> going back to the WBC <laughs> many a year ago. Yes. The two guys who you'd say, okay, they've really made leaps and bounds over the last two years, Tony Singrani, Alex Wood. Yeah. Those are the two guys who came Great somewhat out. And the thing about it is, is both of those guys are guys. There's no one pitching in the big leagues of the pit besides Bartolo Colon almost as a starter who's more about his fastball than Tony Singrani. Yeah. And Alex Wood is really about his he's fastball. Right Although he's got he's got a little better secondary stuff. He does. Stuff. Yeah, his changeup's really been a nice pitch for him. And it seems like the breaking ball is better than it was as right. in but that But again, if you have a plus arm with fastball command but and swing and miss fastball, like that's right. something. Swings and misses in the strikes and with a fastball. Like I was watching, again. That's a very hard thing like, to do. Like Andrew Faulkner. Last night for the uh, for the you know for the range for Hickory, he's a 92, 93 mile lefty. Got good ink. I mean, he really can get in on a guy with his fastball. But secondary stuff not that great. But more importantly, his fat he doesn't have fastball command. If you don't mm. have fastball command, that's the building block you got to have for that. If you're going to pitch off your fastball, you got to be able to throw it where you want to throw it because otherwise, they, you don't get in the counts you need to get into. South Carolina Aiken High School. I knew I, I knew I'd written about Andrew Faulkner sometime. That was a nice little. Uh, that's a deep cut. That's a 14th round, $125,000 signing for the uh, for the Rangers. Last but not least, Doug has two other questions. Thoughts on the Mariners bringing up Taiwan Walker tomorrow? Eager oh, anticipation. I could, I, I could go on this one for you know we don't we don't have enough time for. But I do think, I, I think this is good a good move. I've been calling for this. I mean, again, they don't need to check with me on this. <laughs> but but I've been saying. I think I said on one of these podcasts, the reason to me you need to bring Walker up is is that. We just talked about Holtz and we talked about Maurer. You know, down the road we're talking about James Paxton. They're going to be Maybe. moving in a lot of – they're moving in one two, one or two rookie pitchers probably before long into that rotation. Get, 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 some, get feet wet. Yeah, yeah. Get, Taiwan Walker is ready for this. Taiwan Walker told me himself at the Futures game. He's like, you know what? If they'd asked me last year at this time to come up, I'd have said, yeah, I'm ready, but I'd have known in the back of my head, I don't know what I'm doing to do this. Now I'm ready. I know what I'm doing. I, I talked to a scout who saw him, and you know he's made quite a bit of progress. It seems like just in the last month, month and a half, putting some of the mental part, the mental right. maturity you're talking about, and a plan together with his prodigious physical talent. And I, I think it's it's time to to see what that is. I mean, really, there's if you're the Mariners, I think it's worth starting his clock because you're counting on him in your 2014 rotation probably. Let's get an idea of that. Let's if he has things he needs to work on, let's let him go into the off season yeah, knowing what those things that's right. are. I, I I'm I'm with you on that mindset. And then last, uh, even though the Twins are known for their slow mo promo, 
Chances to know break spring training with a team in 2014. I think those chances are pretty decent because. And by the way, we got to we got to take away that. Maybe these I haven't they haven't been on a slow mo promo. Let you know Byron Buxton, but Miguel Sano halfway through the season, you're up, and move another level. And and for those that worked, there was Aaron Hicks that didn't. And uh, job from they are to the they generally leagues. move slow, but at the same time, the guys that they generally move slow are guys who they've needed to move slow. And Oswaldo Arcia. They didn't move him slow. That's a great point. And the guy, and they didn't actually even move very slow with Ben Revere. And uh, the guys they moved slowly with were guys who, in the end, really weren't worth it, like Joe Benson and Chris Parmley and Trevor Plouffe. And you know they, what? When those guys got the big, hey, you know who else got there quick was Brian Dozier. And Brian Dozier just hit his 14th home run before we started recording this. 14th home run as a second baseman. That's a Twins record, tying Tim Tuffle, which I'll is ridiculous. I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. Where does he rank among Twins uh, second basemen of the uh, 21st century? Yeah, pretty high. I, I was going to say, that's been a pretty black hole of – You had uh, for a year. You had Luis Rivas for a long time. Yeah, I don't like thinking about twin second baseman. <laughs> I mean, it's not so good. It's not good. So this podcast, good. Better than twin second base <laughs> history. We hope you agreed. Uh, so we want to thank everybody for sending in the questions. Again, uh, he's at JJCoop36. I'm at John Manuel BA. We're at Baseball America, and we'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.